Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The trend can run much further than just about anyone thinks it can at the time. A lot of trends don't, but when a trend does start to run, if you can enter that trend and then have strategies that help you stay on it whilst it's moving, that gives you the the potential to make a lot of money. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. We've spent a lot of time on this podcast discussing value investing and researching companies based on numbers, haven't we, Jason? Have indeed, yeah. (laughs) But there's another way of looking at the share market, and it's known as technical analysis. It's those charts that you see showing the history of the price of a share or index. There's a multitude of lines, indicators, patterns and signals, and they quickly become overwhelming. However, in their simplest form, some say that they convey information that's very important. Hence today's guest, Jason McIntosh from Motion Trader. Hello. Phil, thank you for having me on the show. I've been really looking forward to yeah, being a part of what you do. Yeah, we've been talking about this for a little while, haven't we? We have, we have. Yeah, you've got such a, you know, a great diverse range of guests you have on board. Jason, you're the founder of Motion Trader, a subscription-based trading service for ASX-listed stocks. But you started your time in finance at Bankers Trust. Do you remember what it was like as a, a young man walking through the door and embarking on that career in finance? Yeah, Phil, you know, I remember it like it was yesterday. You see, I was doing my last year of university and I'd landed this part-time role at Bankers Trust after uni each afternoon. And so I was going to work on the, uh, on the bond desk in the dealing room. And so, so I'd never been in the dealing room before. I had all my interviews in, in another, another part of the bank. And my first day, I, I remember it so clearly, I was in the lift on the way up to level 40 of Australia Square. And I could feel my, you could feel, I could feel my heart like, like beating, you know, running. And beads of sweat were rolling down my side. And so the lift doors start to open and you could hear the hum of the trading floor. And so I step out in the foyer area, start to walk around into the, the opening, step into the dealing room. And I'll tell you, it was like setting foot on another planet. You know, you got guys, they're standing up with a phone to either ear. There, you got other guys that are um, yelling over to colleagues on the other side of the desk. Guys pointing at screens with flashing numbers. And I'm like, where on earth have I you know, just landed? This is just amazing. It's like I'd seen Wall Street, you know, the movie Wall Street back in 88. And that's got some good dealing room scenes there. But what I was in now, it was like, it was like, it, well, look, it was like something straight out of the movies. And I was like, wow, this is, um, this is where, this is, this is where my career is starting. This is great. And when you first arrived there, they basically said, just make money. That was your metric, your key metric, wasn't it? Yeah, it's funny. When I got my graduate job, the head of the dealing room said, you know, Jason, welcome to this side of the revolving door. And by that, that was a reference to that. They had a high turnover of people in that dealing room. It's like, here's your seat, sit here, make us money. You make us money, we pay you well. If you don't, well, you kind of had to go somewhere else. And so you had like a stable core of traders who'd been there for a long time and made the bank a lot of money. But then you had this outlayer where 
people were coming and going you know, fairly frequently, hence the uh, revolving door. So what were you doing? <laughs> I mean, they just say, make money. And did you have any idea of how to do that? Yeah, well, I did. I had, had a bit of luck on my, my path through Bankers Trust. So I started off doing my part-time role when I was at uni. And so, look, I must have done a fairly good job at doing that. And like, I came up with a few new ideas to streamline some processes they were, they were using. So the head trader, he said, look, I hear you've done, done well, so let me ask around for you. And he came back a couple of days later and said, look, I've got two heads of department that would like to have a chat to you. One's the head of the futures floor and one's uh, the head of the charting department. So this is where I got my training. And you see, the charting department, when I look back, it was the ideal place to start a career in financial markets. So the guy who, who ran the department was a guy called Scotty. He was, he would, look, he would have been mid-30s, tall, sandy blonde hair. He was a surfer. So he's not the classic type of investment bank analyst I think that people picture. But this made him unique in that he had this free-flowing approach to the markets, to looking for patterns like he would for looking for a... Um, a wave on the on the surf. And he was always telling me it's not about what will happen, it's about what could happen. It's about looking for possibilities and probabilities. And that's how he started getting me thinking about markets. And he said, look, Jason, there are three phases to the market. There's an up phase, a down phase, and a sideward phase. And he said that if you can identify which one you're in, then you've got the potential to make a lot of money. And, you know, that really got my interest. And so, you know, it's through his influence and, and teachings that I started to learn about the financial markets, about how markets move and how, how trends are formed and how you identify them. And that set me on my course. From then on, I was focused on looking for trends in markets, using price data, and, and then learning all the, you know, the psychological aspects to being able to put together a trading approach, an investment approach, and make money from it. So, look, I was lucky I was in the right place. I had brilliant people around me to learn from. A lot of us have to learn from books. I had books plus the guys who are there in the trenches actually doing it. So, yeah, you know, sometimes, you know, luck goes your way and you, you make the most of it. Because technical analysis is a, a broad church. Like, you know, patterns mm. as well in the traditional style of technical analysis where people would be looking for penance and you're not interested yourself in any of those kind of patterns? That was my initial training. Mm -hmm. I'd look for things called penance and flags and wedges and triangles and rectangles. Yeah. yeah. Head and shoulders. And these are, drawn, these are lines drawn over yeah, patterns so you'd on a actually, price chart. Well, back in those days, you'd print the chart out and you'd get the ruler and the pencil and you'd be drawing the lines on it. And I've still got time for that sort of thing. I don't actively seek out those patterns anymore. I've just taken a, a different approach. But the, the concept that a market will move in one direction and then move sideways for a period, that's a consolidation. And that's where you get those patterns like triangles and rectangles. So whilst I don't look for them as such, I do recognize a sideways period within an upward trend. And when the market will then start to move out of that consolidation, that's when maybe you'd get a, a point to, to buy an interest stock and then stay with that trend while it runs. So the, the underlying principles of all that are all, all fine. But look, I'm not drawing the same sort of trend lines as I once was. Not that they don't work, but it's a lot more discretionary. What I'm doing now is more analytical and consistent in terms of I'm using data and, and treating that data the same way each and every time. And I think that's what throws a lot of people off with technical analysis because it is discretionary and I've seen 
people draw lines on charts and you go, what, what, what is that doing? It doesn't mean anything. And, and, and technical analysis, again, it's such, as you say, it's a broad church and that that would include everything from guys who are using lunar cycles to you know, sunspots to... There are some that do that, don't they? There are. There are. It, it is, you know, it's wild and wonderful out there in terms of what people do, and a lot of it is nonsense, really. Mm, mm. Um, but it comes under this broad banner of technical analysis. High-frequency algorithmic traders would also be classed under technical analysis, and they're very different to the sunspot guys. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's vast and broad and... Um, what what I do fits fits under there. So for me, it's it's all about identifying trends and exploiting the advantage that entering a trend and staying on a trend can can give you. Rather than there's like Elliott wave theories and Garn approaches and all these esoteric things, which are Bollinger quite, bands and they get very convoluted. Yeah, and yeah. Um, they may work some of the time, but some of the time isn't really. Look, it's about finding a process that gives you repeatable success and i think some of these ones which are quite one person will think one thing and one will think another when they look at it it's 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 hard to get repeatable success with that sort of framework you mentioned previously support and resistance these are very basic concepts in analyzing a chart aren't they yeah that's right they're not things i use so much anymore but a lot of charters will look for that. They'll look for areas where the, where the price has historically struggled to go higher from. or that, And that's resistance. That would be resistance. Yeah. Um, you know, typically around a, a previous high. They'll say a previous high will be resistance. And if the markets run up to that previous high a couple of times and fail, then they might say, look, that's a double top. So there's extra resistance there now. And the theory would be, well, if the price breaks above that area, well, then it's a breakout. And momentum then shifts to the upside. The opposite applies with support. If a stock has fallen to a level and then rebounded and maybe has come back and tested that level on other occasions, you say there's support, there's natural support for the market there. Buyers are coming in to to hold the price at that level. And if it breaks below there, well, then support breaks and then you look for another leg down. So, yeah, the underpinnings of that, that sort of rationale is all, look, I think it's all quite quite solid and it's something which a lot of look a lot of everyday traders can do they can get some good technical analysis or charting books and understand those concepts and sort of like see what what, how they work and 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 why they work and you're really looking at the basics of the trend like you mentioned before that there's markets are either going up they're going sideways or they're going down you're looking for those trends aren't you yeah well the trend's key because like a trend can run much further than than just about anyone thinks it can at the the time. A lot of trends don't. A lot of trends don't go too far. But when a trend does start to run, if you can enter that trend and then have strategies that help you stay on it whilst it's moving and then strategies that help you come off it when the trend starts to lose its momentum and, and turn lower, well, that gives you the, the potential to make a lot of money. It's called asymmetric risk is what I look to do with a trend so like you just think back to geometry at school symmetric is when you know one side's exactly the same as the other so if you take symmetric risk you're risking a dollar to to make a dollar and that's a hard thing to go forward and make money in the markets from so we look for asymmetric risk that's where you may risk a dollar to make three dollars and with a trend a trend gives you the opportunity to do that 
because you can buy a stock, take a position, have an exit level, which is at some point below the market. You might use a percentage or like I use percentages to to do these things. So that's a stop loss below which if it drops down, you say, okay, well. So say say you use a 20% stop loss. Mm -hmm. So I'll say, look, a, a stock has broken higher. It appears to be in the early stages of a trend. So I can buy it here. I can have a stop loss, maybe 20% below the market. Now, I don't know how far it's going to run, so I don't have a predetermined exit level on the upside. So I'll let it run until it stops running. So that could run 5%, 10%, 50%, 100%. There have been some stocks I've been on which have run 500%. And so that's the asymmetric part because I've initially risked 20% and I've potentially made a triple-digit gain or a large double-digit gain. So if you play that game over and over again, you're not going to win every time, but you're putting the potential to get these outside gains in your favour and whilst minimising your risk, which is a key part of a successful process. Heads I win, tails I don't lose too much. <laughs> Heads you win three times what you might have lost if you got tails. <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's the game of two-up you want to play. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So you use a very simple chart showing moving averages. Can you give us a really fundamental explanation of what a moving average is? Yeah, you know, it's funny. The longer I've been in the game, the the simpler I've become in my approaches. So like if we spoke a little earlier ago about things like these um, technical indicators, which people use, and they all sound very complicated, like things like um, Bollinger Bands you mentioned. There's, you know, stochastics and oscillators and... RSIs and yeah, MACDs and pitchforks is all you know, all hmm. manner of weird and wonderful things and Fibonacci's uh, as well. Fibonacci's is all part yeah. of Elliott Wave. So mm-hmm. these are all, these are all things which I've used over the years, and I've found look I haven't found that any of them really provide a consistent edge to making money. They work sometimes, they don't work other times. I've done back testing where I've used lots of data to you know see whether these indicators really work over time and look maybe some people can make them work but for me I haven't really found anything special about them they look good when you see things in hindsight but they actually use them in real time but you know it's a little bit harder to you know get that benefit the moving average though like if I was to use one indicator the moving average would be my go-to so now what a moving average is it's simply an average of the closing price of a stock over a certain period of time. So say we say 50 days, for instance. So a 50-day moving average will take the closing price over the last 50 days and average it, and that'll be the first data point. And and it appears as a line against the price. That's right. It'll be a smooth line that is either above or below the share price. If the, the share price is rising, the moving average will be below it. And that shows that you know, the price is above the moving average, so it's in an uptrend. The opposite applies when the price is below the moving average, then it's said to be in a downtrend or on the, in a bearish phase. So it's a really simple way of you know, quickly identifying what phase the market could be in. Is it bullish or is it bearish? And each day, the, the 50th day, price will roll off and the new day's price will come on. So it's a constantly changing average price, hence the moving average. And look, I've used moving averages on you know, five-minute charts or I've looked at them on monthly charts. You could even do them on yearly charts if you have enough data. 
Okay, so just stop there for a second because people most probably don't understand the kind of durations that um, charts operate on. Like when you first open up, up at a chart, I think most of them will default to a, a day period, won't they? You'd see a daily chart, yeah. A daily chart, but they, these charts can go all the way down to one minute. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then all the way out to years of charting. Yeah, if you have the data, you can go out to years. And it, it, it is an interesting thing to look at a chart over over more than like a one-year time frame. One year is really just a snapshot. So I like to, you know, I'll look at what's happened over a year and then I'll, you know, look at what's happened over as much data as is available, be it 10 years or 20 years, depending on what the, you know, what the... With the, with the moving average against it? Oh, look, probably not with the moving average over 10 years because it's more just to get a, a broader picture of what this stock has done. A lot of the time it's just out of, out of interest to form a big picture view of it. I'd use the moving average usually just over, over the one-year period to, to see, look, where are we currently? Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I listened to this really interesting interview a little while ago with a guy called Perry Kaufman. Now he's um, he's an American algorithmic trader. He's one of the he's one of the pioneers in the in the um, in the area. He started life as a as a rocket scientist. So you know, we, we use the term rocket scientist to you know, to describe someone who's you know really clever in finance. Yeah. This guy literally was a rocket scientist, and he was talking about how they used moving averages in the guidance systems of missiles back in the 60s or so when he was when he was involved in that area and i just thought that was amazing because that's kind of what i'm using a moving average for now it's such a, a simple indicator but it can be used in such you know, complex tasks as in guidance systems for missiles or in helping to you know eliminate 1500 stocks from your from your field of view as i said look if there was one indicator that would be my my go-to. Anyone starting out in the market who's trying to understand like what a trend is, you get up a chart, you put on a moving average, and it kind of like you know paints away for you, leaves a you know it's your trail. It's a trail that sort of shows you is the price going up, is it going down based on the direction of that moving average and where the price is relative to it. Are any of your videos available with um, this kind of demonstration? Yeah, look, I talk about, I've got a, a four-part training series which I make available on, the, on my website mm-hmm. and that talks about the moving averages as well as some of the other processes that go into it. Because look, there's more to, there's more to a trading strategy than, than one indicator. Yep. It's you know, one piece of a you know, multi-piece puzzle. And, uh, but look, the training series is good because it goes through all the pieces and it brings them together. Because that's the key thing a lot of people don't get, I think. I often talk to people who... They found one part of, of a good process, 
maybe the, it's often the buying part. They've often found a good way to buy stocks, but there's so much more to it. You've got to work out, well, when are you going to sell a stock? That's actually the hardest part, I think. Mm. Lots of people tell you when to buy, not so many people tell you when to sell. And this is where a lot of people get into all sorts of bother. Like I see people, they either they sell their good stocks too early or they hold their, their losing stocks too long or maybe they hold their good stocks too long. They ride them all the way up and then all the way back down. And I've mm. seen that happen more than a few times where you know people have had these... I've seen some massive gains. People have made like, you know, multi-hundreds of percent. And you talk to them a couple of years later and they go, oh, geez, you know, I gave it all back and now I'm in the red because they, they just didn't know when to sell. And it's not because they, you know, they're just not clever people. It's like selling's emotional. It's hard because you're crystallizing a loss. You're locking in a loss, which makes it a permanent loss and people struggle with that. Or they're um, jumping off a big profit when you know, greed might say, look, I should hang in there and get more of a profit. It's, it's a very emotional time working out when to sell something. Mm. So that's what the video series helps with. It goes through all the, all the facets of, of the process. So the moving averages, you just don't depend on just one. You like to see crossovers, don't you, between a couple of moving averages. Yeah. If I can just, just put in here as well, I've recently learned about the Golden Cross which people in the United States, apparently it's a very common uh, system where two moving averages cross over each other and that's used as a signal to buy or a sell. Have you heard of the Golden Cross? Yeah, they've, all, they've also got the Death Cross. Oh, and the Death Cross. The Death yep. Cross. That's a bit spookier. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, look, this is... Um, all, the, all these funny names probably doesn't do technical analysis much much justice. But like what moving average, what periods are they using? So there's all different periods that you, you can use. If, I don't know what, what they're using, whether it's 100 days and 200 days. Yeah, look, I use, I use two moving averages. I use a 50-day and a 100-day. Now, there's no magic number in any of these days. Um, if you're a short-term trader, you might use maybe a 5-day and a 20-day moving average. I use the, you know, the 50 and 100 because they're good medium-term trend-following type periods but you can you can use longer shorter um you know you could use 40 and 80 and it still gives you a similar sort of outcome there's no magic number to these but i i I like the crossover because when the the shorter shorter moving average moves above the slower moving average that's telling you that the momentum shift to the upside so you could you could get that from a single moving average as well. You know, a, a, a dual moving average isn't essential by any means, but it um, look it works well for for what I do. Mm. And some people just use these as opportunities to find a stock that might be going in the, the right direction, and then they'll apply fundamental analysis to see if it's worthwhile investing in as well. It's not mm. necessarily just a signal. Okay, this is the time to buy and this is the time to sell it's not necessarily just yeah for that. look a lot of people make the mistake and think that it's it's two camps you're either fundamental yeah. or you're technical mm. but that's not right because a lot of people have success by combining the two you're using aspects of both of them so a lot of people i hear from who use my service they use the price analysis the technical side to identify opportunities because you know, you've got 2,000 stocks out there your top 50 or so are easy enough but how are you going to find some of the, the smaller to mid caps which you probably don't know their name um, this is where the, the price analysis comes from because it can identify them 
because any stock that's going higher has to trend, has to rise in price. And it's a bit like, think of, a, think of trying to spot a plane in the, in, a, in the blue sky when it's at 30,000 feet and you're on the ground. It's next to impossible unless it's leaving a vapor trail. Leaves that vapor trail, spot it straight away. Similar with a, with, a, with a rising stock, the rising price is a stock's vapor trail. And that's how you identify uh, a rising stock, a stock in a trend. And then once you do that, well, if you're like me, you just go with that. I'll buy a stock which I don't know, I don't need to know, and I'll put risk managing strategies around that. And if it keeps rising, I'll keep it. If it falls, I'll cut it. Not everyone does it like that. Others will get a list of stocks which are rising and then they'll apply a whole lot of fundamental filters and they'll look for whatever it may be that they look for, whether it's growth or value or dividends. It's, you know, there's, there's a whole array of fundamental things you can do to analyse a stock. And, uh, and that's when the two can work really well. Okay, you've started investing in the stock market. Now, how do you track trades, dividends and distributions and all those other goodies? Throw away those clunky spreadsheets with ShareSite. I have my portfolio and ShareSite and everything is automatically recorded. ShareSite is pleased to extend a special offer to listeners of this podcast. Save four months on an annual premium plan. Go to ShareSite.com slash shares for beginners and sign up now for a seven-day free trial before taking advantage of four free months. That's ShareSite.com slash shares for beginners. You mentioned before the pitfalls, the emotional and psychological pitfalls. What are some of the things that investors should be looking out for? Yeah, look, there are, emotions just run, play havoc with, um, with investing. So, you know, you've got the ones like overconfidence, and euphoria, greed, uh, you'd, you'd, you'd class fear of missing out. That's another one which would, you'd, you'd put in this, this basket together. And they're all, those four emotions encourage people to take on too much risk. And in investment markets, no matter how you approach them, whether you're fundamental, technical, you're combined, if you take on too much risk, like risk is a funny thing. Risk is great when the market's going your way. You can make a lot of money. But when it turns against you, risk, look, if you've got too much on, it can quickly destroy your portfolio. It just pulls it apart. And that's when people just go completely bust. There are so many stories of even banks going bust due to having too much leverage. It's a, it's a, it's a common tale. And it happens in, with individual investors, often with margin accounts, take on too much risk. So those emotions you have to be aware of so you don't do that. The, the emotion of discouragement where you may have a, a really good approach to what you're doing, but you might have a, a series of losses. You might have, say you might get you know, six, seven, eight losses in a row and you start to question, look, am I doing the right thing? Is my approach actually working anymore? And this is when a lot of people, they, either, you know, they, they change their strategy, they sack their advisor, they switch their fund manager because they've had maybe a, a, a could be a, a series of losses or you know a f- couple of bad quarters and they're, they're quick to move on due to you know, discouragement being fed up and what is important to understand is that you know markets often take time to do their thing and not and no strategy works in every part of the the market cycle so you often got to sit through a period of of you know lackluster returns if you've got a robust system and have confidence that you know, it is going to work out your way if you stay with it you've got to stay with it and uh, then you've got the emotion of anger. And this is where people, they, um, they want to get even. 
So they've lost money in a stock and they say, this stock owes me money. I've got to get my money back from this stock. But you know, the, the stock doesn't owe you anything. It's, it's just a stock. But people get, you know, they, they take it personally. And I had a call from a relative. He called up recently and said, look, I've got these shares in Woodside. I bought them last year, so I've held them all through the, you know, the, the, the COVID you know, plummet in the share price. And uh, I'm thinking of buying some more. I want to average down. Averaging down, it's, it's such a dangerous strategy. When it works, it's great because you lower your average and you get back to even quicker. But when it doesn't, it can snowball into a bigger and bigger loss. And that does happen. You know, if you just want to get back out at even, just you know, move on to something else and put your capital into a more productive idea, which is actually going in the direction of um, it's going to make you money rather than messing around with something which you just want to get even with. Mm. So I think a lot of people approach the markets with the wrong mindset. And uh, it's interesting, you look at like the things that make us successful in everyday life, like uh, it's things like, you know, being right and winning. So in most career paths, it's you're rewarded for being right. You look at like, a, you know, like, a, say, a doctor or an engineer or uh, you know, a pilot, you know, it's all about being right most of the time. And then people come to the investment world and all of a sudden it's, well, if you're trying to be right all the time, you're, you're heading for trouble because the markets don't care what you think. The markets are going to do what they're going to do. And you've got to be prepared to take lots of small losses along the way if you're going to get the, the big wins over time. I'll tell you this interesting story. It's a funny story. It's at a, at a wedding years ago. It was back in the 90s, late 90s. I was at Bankers Trust and uh, I met this, met this guy who um, he worked at a telco and he wanted to get into the markets as a full-time trader. It was dot-com time. The dot-com boom was on. Everyone was talking about the markets. He heard I was at BT and wanted to know all about it. And he said, hey, um, what percentage of your, of your trades make money? And without giving it a second thought, I said, oh, about 40%. And this is awkward silence. And I've gone, what did, what, what did I just say? And it, then it's you know, dawned upon me, it's like, me saying 40% win rate, he's thought that I'm saying I'm actually not very good at this and I'm probably going to lose my job soon, so don't listen to me. But then, look, I, say, I figured it out and I explained it to him. I said, look, look, 40% is actually quite normal in the dealing room environment because my, my average win, winning stock will make $3 versus my average losing stock, which will lose a dollar. So I got this three to one reward to risk ratio. So you don't need much more than you know, 40% win rate to make a lot of money. And uh, then it all made sense. And uh, you know, George Soros, you know, we've spoken about George's quote before, where, it, where he says, you know, it's not about whether I'm right or wrong, it's how much I make when I'm right, how much I lose when I'm wrong. And people don't get this, that they've got this concept that you've got to be right. And yeah, look, it, it, it messes with people's heads and it makes the emotional side of, of this investment um, process you know, really, really difficult for people. And they... And 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 let's say, look, you don't know until someone teaches you or you you know you you learn about it. It's it's a very hard trial and error process to to pick that up, and that that's why for anyone anyone starting out, it's really important to you know read widely and and listen to people who have been in the markets and 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 learn. It's um, it's a good way to fast forward your learning process rather than trying to just do it through trial and error. And you wouldn't want to go see a doctor that was right only forty percent of the time, would you? 
No, imagine getting on a plane with a pilot and only gets 40% on the runway. But it doesn't, doesn't work. And yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Investment world, though, it's, it's completely different. Some of the most successful people in the investment world are right 40% of the time, thereabouts. So tell us about Motion Trader, the service that you offer. So Motion Trader is, um, well, look, it, it's like what we've been talking about. Like it's, um, it's an algorithmic process. That I use, and I've I've taken a, a set of investment rules which I've used for years, and I've converted that into computer code. So that's basically what an algorithm is. So it's a whole lot of you know, human thought which gets converted into computer code. And the great thing with that is I can I can cover the whole market within a very short space of time, and it's consistent. So I'm looking for signs of stocks which are trending higher, which are showing the signs of being an uptrend. And then what I'll do, I'll send those ideas out to the members of my service each afternoon. And you know, some days there'll be no signals, some days there'll be, there'll be several. All depends what the market does. And it's not about being right all the time, but it's about consistently applying an approach. And you've got to have that exit point as well. And that's another big part of it. It's like having that predefined exit point. If, a, if, a, if an idea doesn't work out, well close out the position and you move on to the next one. If it does work out, you let it run because some of them can run a very long way. So it's also about also having many relatively small trades rather than a few big ones. So it's not just about telling people what to buy and when to sell. It's also explaining the process and telling them how to do it. You know, it's about sharing, it's about sharing ideas. So they, I really want people to be able to you know, take the process on board and make it their own. Because look, at the end, end of the day, that's what every every great trader does because no one's born an expert trader it's something we all we all learn i learned from my mentors they learned from from their mentors and and that's kind of what i do in my my weekly report i'm taking that knowledge and i'm giving it to to others who are trying to learn their own way forward and learn how to approach the markets as well as of course you know the the big thing a lot of people come for is uh, you know the ideas the algorithmic scans across 2000 odd stocks and finding some of those, you know, those fascinating smaller stocks which nobody knows their name until they, of course, get a lot bigger, and hopefully they're the ones which people get some, some money into. Okay, Jason, thank you very much for joining me today. Phil, thanks for having me on board. It's been great. The company and or guest has contributed to the costs associated with producing this episode of Shares for Beginners. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Shares for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. Thanks to Christopher Soulos for music production with that special Greek-alicious flavour. Remember, music always flows, even when the money won't. <laughs>